0: Lent is a time for many things. It is certainly a time for repentance, for looking into our hearts as we did on Wednesday when we put ashes on our head and remembered our sins that we need to confess before God Almighty. It is also a somber time of the church year, a little more somber than, say, Easter or Christmas. That's why we take out certain things in the liturgy like the Gloria in Excelsis. It's a time, as I was discussing a little bit before the service, for purple, a change in color to remind us of all these other things that it is time for, but it is also a time of this battle, war, a time to wage the spiritual fight against our enemies, the powers and principalities of this world, some which we can see, some which we can not see physically. Jesus begins his ministry in the very same way that you begin your Christian life. He is baptized. He is baptized in the Jordan. Immediately after beginning that journey, he is baptized into battle. He goes forth, sent forth by the Spirit Himself into battle to wage war against the devil right after he is baptized in the jordan river matthew chapter 3 he is sent out by the spirit into the wilderness that's where we pick it up in matthew 4. fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and so we see in that that the christian life is a life of battle and so during this lenten season Since we have been baptized in the battle, we take a special time now to think about that battle and especially to think about our enemies. The Bible often speaks of the enemies of God or the enemies of Christians. Read the Psalms, how often David prayed about his enemies, that God would help him defeat them. How Jesus here defeats his enemy, the devil. And so we think about these enemies and how we must do battle against them. So first we should start with this. Who are our enemies? Who are the enemies of the Christian? Luther had a fond way of talking about this. You can hear it in the hymn we just sung so gloriously together. We sung that hymn because it is our battle hymn. Called the battle hymn of the Reformation. And we stand to sing it. Because we are girding ourselves, we are preparing ourselves for this battle. That's why we sing it on the first Sunday in Lent and stand to sing it that way. We have prepared ourselves, but you can hear in that hymn the way that Luther thought about enemies. He had a fond way of talking about this. He said our enemies are threefold, kind of the unholy trinity, if you will. The devil, the world, and our own sinful Corruption. The devil, we'll start with him, is in some ways the most obvious one when you consider Matthew 4. He is the one that is leading the charge against the Christian, against Jesus himself. He is the one who works through other agents of evil. He is the one who sends his demons. He is the one who Luther calls the prince of this Now, the thing to know about the devil when we look at Matthew 4 and Jesus' interaction with him, and also what we saw already in Genesis chapter 3, when the devil brings his temptations against Adam and Eve, is that the devil is not creative. The devil uses the same war tactics, the same battle tactics, over and over and over again throughout history. Now, some of the content might change, but the tactics are the same. The first tactic that we want to identify today is this, if-then statements. If-then statements. He knows this is a natural way of human thinking. And he knows if he can get us caught up in this way of thinking, then we might fall into temptations if he can plant the right if and the right then. If you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will know good and evil. If then, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down. Surely the angels will protect you. If you are the son of God, then make these stones loaves of bread and you won't be hungry anymore. If you bow down to me, I will give you the world and all It's glory. And I'm sure that whenever you have been tempted, the devil has put these same kinds of thoughts in your head. If you watch this porn, you will get a big dopamine rush. If you neglect prayer and devotion and church, God won't really mind. If you spread this gossip and seek out other gossip, you will feel better about yourself. You can see how these statements go on. I don't have to give more examples. You can fill them in for yourselves. You know what your own temptations are. The second tactic of the devil is that he loves to twist God's word in certain ways, and especially to kind of take it out of context and put it into another context. In the garden, he just makes Adam and Eve question the clarity of God's word. Did God really say that you shouldn't touch it lest you die? That can't really be what he meant, can it? And then, with Jesus, he takes Psalm 91. The angels, he will send his angels to guard you lest you strike your foot against the stone. And he rips it out of that context, the context of God's refuge, especially in a time in Psalm 91, a time of plague. takes it out of that context and shoves it into the context of this attempted threat to suicide. And this attempted threat to God's own nature in Jesus Christ. And again, he does these same tactics to us. In modern Christianity, how often do you hear the devil kind of weaseling around the severity and the personal responsibility of sin? I hear this often by Christians that the way we have talked about sin has kind of changed in modern Christianity. I think this is attack. An attack of the devil that will talk about sin in these vague terms of how we're all broken and we're all struggling to do the best we can. And in some ways, that can be fine. In fact, it sounds nice on the surface, but remember, it also sounded nice on the surface when the devil quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus. It sounded nice on the surface. When the devil quotes the Bible. And so, yes, broken and struggle can be terms that sound nice and sometimes I use them myself. But the devil also quotes Psalms. And I think this way of kind of weaseling around personal responsibility instead of just using the word sin and talking about brokenness and talking about Struggle is a way to kind of put off the responsibility we have of our own sin. I have seen this happen. Or how often today have you heard the verse, judge not lest you be judged, taken out of its context describing Pharisaism and put into a context, shoved into a context of defending sin itself. So the devil's tactics haven't changed. Changing the context of God's word, twisting his word, making you doubt the clarity of God's word when it says things very clearly, like you are a sinner and you need to repent. His tactics haven't changed. The next enemy that we encounter today in the gospel reading is the world. Also, in Luther's little list there, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Now, what the devil says to Jesus when he tempts him with the world, I think, is really quite profound. He doesn't just take him up on the mount and show him the kingdoms of the world and say, all of this will be yours if you bow down and worship me. But notice what he says in verse 8. He says, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The world is ever-changing. Sometimes it is more Christian-friendly. Sometimes it is less Christian-friendly. The world changes. Its ethics change. Its values change. Its philosophies can change. But the thing that tempts us when it comes to being tempted by the world and by the people in the world who would be enemies to the gospel, the thing that tempts us is not just the world itself, but it is receiving the glory of the world. Our sinful pride wants to be accepted by the world. No matter what its philosophies and values and ethics may be at the time, the thing that we are tempted by is not just the kingdoms themselves, but is the kingdoms and their glory. This is what the devil will get us with is that our pride wants to be accepted by the world. Our pride wants the recognition of fellow man. Yes, it wants things like money and fame, and that's connected, but more than that, we could just put it this simply. Our sinful pride wants to be liked by others. It wants us to not be lonely. But remember what Jesus says to you Your glory, it's not of this world. Your crown is not an earthly crown, but a heavenly crown that I will give you on the last day. And so then, let's move on to the next enemy, because that pride, that sinful pride, it leads us right into the final enemy we have, our sinful corruption that we inherited from our father, Adam. And it is that sinful corruption that kind of ties everything together, isn't it? Because it is that sinful corruption that confuses our conscience. It's that sinful corruption that the devil uses when he comes to us with these if-then statements. Whenever we hear those if-then statements, it is that sinful corruption that gets our mind moving in the way that the devil wants Whenever he comes to us with twisted or out of context words of scripture, it is that sinful corruption that is tempted to believe him. It is that sinful corruption that causes the pride that wants to have the glory of the world. And so for all other temptations to be effective, it is dependent on the fact that we are sinfully corrupt. And so those are our enemies, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. That is how, in summary, we are tempted. That is who we must battle this Lent. And so let's move on then, enough about who our enemies are. How do we go about battling them? And I think what Jesus says here and how Jesus handles the devil, it does provide for us an example. And we'll start with the context of what Jesus is doing. We talked about this some on Wednesday as well. The connected to Jesus' resistance to temptation is fasting. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And as we talked about on Wednesday, what fasting is for the Christian is a training of our bodies to resist temptation. Whenever we can give something up, whenever we can say, especially to something like food, which is so base and fundamental to our human life, whenever we can say, no, I don't need that right now, I can do without that, that is training us to be able to say no to other fleshly temptations that the devil comes at us with. And so it's no surprise then that Jesus fighting against the devil, doing battle with the devil in the wilderness is connected to his fasting in some ways. And I think it's often talked about this, that the fact that Jesus was so hungry and was still able to resist the devil is a show of his strength. And I think that's true. But I think in more ways than that, it is a model for the Christian. That we should train ourselves bodily, as Paul says, to resist fleshly sin. It's also no surprise, then, that the church picked up on this and our Lenten season, which we are beginning this week. We began on Wednesday, really, is 40 days modeled after Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. It's 40 days that we will have Easter. The second thing. ...to note about Jesus' fight against the devil, and this is maybe the most obvious one, is that he uses the Bible. His main defense is the double-edged sword of the word. His main defense against the devil is the Bible. Now, one thing I want you to note about this... ...is that if you look at the verses that Jesus quotes against the devil... They are all from one book of the Bible. They're all from Deuteronomy. And not just from one book of the Bible, but they're all from just a very limited number of chapters, a very small section of Deuteronomy. Two of them are from chapter six. One of them is from chapter eight. Within only three chapters of the Bible, Jesus is able to fend off all of the attacks of the devil. And so the lesson from this is that if Jesus can fend off the devil himself in maybe the most extreme temptation ever to take place in human history with only three chapters of the Bible, how much stronger will you be the more you learn your Bible? The more you read not just three chapters, but 40 chapters, not just 40 chapters, but 100 chapters. The more you study his word, the more you hear his word, the more you digest his word, the more you meditate on his word. How much more will you be equipped to fight against your enemies? Jesus only needed three chapters. We're a lot weaker than he is. We need more. But Jesus could do it with three. So how much more can we fight against our enemies? If we simply read, simply hear, and simply digest his word. The final way that I think we fight against our enemies is one of the things that Jesus says from Deuteronomy, that you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only. Interestingly enough, if you want to know about enemies of the gospel, The place to go is the Psalms. And what is the Psalms, what is the Psalter, other than the hymnal of the Bible? I think we can summarize it this way, worship is warfare. Whenever we sing our praise to God, whenever we pray to Him in worship, whenever we come to Him together today to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, One of the things that we are doing is declaring war on our enemies. The Psalms declare war on the enemies. That's why we sing the Psalms often here. We actually already sang a Psalm going back to that Luther hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that is based on Psalm 46. It is a sung version of a psalm. And what did we do in that psalm? What did we do in that song that we stood and sang together? We declared war on the devil. We said, a little word can fail him. Even if he took our child or our spouse, even if he took all that we have, the victory has been won in Jesus Christ. And so when we come together and we sing psalms and we sing songs and we sing spiritual songs, We are declaring war on our enemies. And when we come to worship and when we receive the Lord's Supper, we are receiving the nutrition that we need to be prepared for this war, to be equipped for the fight that is ahead of us. When we come here together, what we are doing, when we hear his word and digest his word like we talked about, is we are putting on that armor of God, ready to go out and fight the good fight. And so worship is warfare. And so I encourage you this Lent, this season of battle, to do these things, to take up the practice of fasting. If you need advice on that, we talked about it some Wednesday. I'll put something in the messenger as well on different Christian practices of fasting to take up Bible reading and devotion and studying and meditating, adding a little bit more maybe this season than you normally do. And to not neglect the Lord's worship, because worship is warfare, and we need this place. We need this place to be ready to fight. Now, one final word on all of this enemy talk today. You heard today in the gospel reading that there was actually only one man, only one man who was able to defeat the devil and all his temptations. You saw the failure of Adam and Eve, and you know of your own failures in your heart. But there was one man who was not corrupted, who did not have that sinful corruption of which the devil could take hold of and use to defeat. And his name is Jesus. And so this Lent, when you find yourself trying to battle, when you find yourself waged in a war against the devil, against the world, and against your own sinful corruption, and you miss the mark, you fall prey to temptation, then look to Jesus. He was baptized in your place. He was cast out into battle to do battle for you before the devil ever could even come to you. He was the one who journeyed to the cross from that wilderness, so that he could, as Genesis said, crush the serpent's head once and for all. And so, follow him the season of battle. And when you follow him the season of battle, when you hide yourself behind him, and when you hide yourself in his wounds on that cross, you will have the victory. Yes, you may falter. Yes, you may stumble, but in him, the battle has already been won. The war is over. And when we come to that glorious Easter, you will know and you will see that not only is the battle been won, but the war is completely over and the victory is yours. He has defeated not only death, not only your sinful corruption. He has defeated death itself The devil himself, he has defeated it all. And you will see on that day that you have vindication in him. All of these enemies which taunt you, all of these enemies which assail you today, all of these enemies which cause you to suffer and suffer and suffer, they are defeated. You are vindicated. You are righteous. And you have the victory, everlasting life. In your great captain, your general who went to war for you. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.